welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona, and I was married to my ex for 30 years. We were together for 32, and we didn't find out we were a neurodiverse couple until our 29th year of marriage. We have an amazing 25-year-old daughter, and she is doing fantastic. And I am here with my co-host, Manisa. Hello, I'm Manisa, and I've been in a neurodiverse relationship for the past eight years, been married for six years, and while in school to become a board-certified behavior analyst, I discovered that my husband is on the spectrum. Yay. So we are uh, really excited. We're always excited with all our guests. We're excited to have Margot Alexis with us, and she has her own podcast called Healing Cassandra. And Margo, thank you so much for being here tonight. And we welcome you to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. Thank you, ladies, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So we always like our guests who are in neurodiverse relationships to share a little bit about what attracted them to their partner and kind of how did you meet? Because it's always a unique kind of experience and it's it's always kind of nice to hear and and maybe share a little bit about um, how long you guys have been together. So I've been married 26 years and my husband and I have a grown son and I grew up in Detroit but then I moved out to Phoenix, Arizona and my husband was the neighbor to um, my uh, parents' home so he was a neighbor okay. and I grew up uh, very creative and artist. I studied theater and dance and really enjoyed all things creative. And my husband is an aerospace engineer. So we are on both sides. So I guess, yeah, I was attracted to him because I think I felt like he grounded me. We had two different skill sets. He enjoyed my you know, creativity and all my ideas. And um, I've always been an entrepreneur. And I really enjoyed that he was grounded and he was very smart and very practical. And I just thought that was a great combination. I love it. And Manisa and I, uh, my ex was in, is in IT and so is Manisa. So, yes. You know. <laughs> there you go. Yes. <laughs> So, so does your um, husband have a formal diagnosis or is it more a self-diagnosis or? No, my my husband um, doesn't have a formal diagnosis and uh, we're choosing not to do that um, at this stage in our life. I I just don't find, and this is personally for us, that it would be helpful. We have had some counseling sessions um, and he definitely has you know, many traits, especially being, you know, an engineer. And um, so, but we chose not to have a formal diagnosis and we're just fine with that. Yeah. I think a lot of adults, you know, it goes both ways, but you know, Manisa and I did an episode on this and I think Manisa and I are both kind of on the same page and Manisa, you can add to this. It doesn't make that much of a difference for a lot of adults who are willing to do the work to keep the relationship strong and will, you know, work with their partner on whatever needs to be addressed. But for some people, you know, it is really important because they're able to get accommodations at work or 
Um, it helps them understand things that they didn't understand before. But yeah, so I think a lot of adults are not um, necessarily needing to have the diagnosis to, to feel comfortable with knowing that they're on the autism spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. So in line with that, Margot, and, you know, not pursuing a diagnosis because you live with your partner, you know what some of their idiosyncrasies are or their differences. And one thing that we look for is patterns and we see it occurring over and over again. So I'd like to talk to you about, or, or could you talk to us about when did you first discover that uh, maybe there were some differences that were just unique to your relationship? Well, I always knew that something was not right. And I didn't realize that my husband was on the spectrum until over 21 years into the marriage. I mean, mm. we struggled, we struggled parenting, we struggled uh, in our relationship, but I could never figure it out. I'm Part of me thought he was narcissistic, but yet mm-hmm. he wasn't like other people that I knew that were narcissists because you know he does, he's very loyal. Um, he, he wouldn't hurt anybody, you know, for anything, no, knowingly. Um, but he, you know, would come off very narcissistic. And, you know, we struggled. We went to several counselors. And um, unless you, as you ladies know, and many of our listeners know, unless you go to the right counselor that has um, some background in this area, it's, some, it's not helpful. And right. you know, we struggled through that. And it wasn't until... Uh, my girlfriend, Corrine, who's a doctor, uh, came to visit us from Montreal, and she spent the week with us. And at the end of the week, she said, Margot, has anyone ever said to you that Jeff may be on the spectrum? Wow. And I said, mm-hmm. what's that? <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know what that was. Of course, I had heard of autism, but, you know, you just think my knowledge of it was in children, and I didn't have any knowledge of ASD1 or Asperger's. So um, as soon as she said that, I started researching, and all the pieces fell into place. Everything mm-hmm. just fell into place. It all made sense. Margo, I totally can relate because it was the 29th year of our marriage that, and it was a friend who, who is my, or was my, my co-host for the first season of the podcast who brought this to my attention. And it is such an aha moment when you start reading things that make so much sense and you experienced for all those years in your relationship. And so I really would like to know kind of, how did things start changing for you and for your husband, if you want to share that? Once you had this aha moment, the light bulb went off and you knew that you were a neurodiverse couple. Well, I didn't bring it up to my husband for several years. I okay. just did a lot of reading and research. And um, I think the big thing that fell into place for me is one of the biggest struggles in our relationship was the difficulty and the emotional challenges of the everyday. I felt like I was always in autopilot, uh, taking care of everything. And it was, you know, like they say, the frog in the pot comes to a slow boil. Mm -hmm. So the dynamics of our relationship and raising our son really took an effect on my uh, physical and emotional well-being. So um, I knew that I had to 
my husband at that point wasn't willing to do some counseling and we've only done a little bit of counseling. Uh, I felt for me that it was important for me to work on myself. So I, mm-hmm. shifted, I shifted the focus from my husband to me because I couldn't, you know, rely or be, I, you know, he would have to want to change and he would have to come to make some of these realizations on his, on his own. But for me, I had to switch the focus to myself and I started to do a deep dive and my husband and I separated during that time. I was going through a lot of grief. I was taking care of my parents for um, several years and stayed with them until they, they both passed within six months of each other. I was becoming an empty nester. So there was a, a lot of grief and then also finding out you know, about you know, my husband being on the spectrum. So it was a lot that I was going through at, at the time. So I worked, decided to work on myself. So it was important for me to take time for myself, to take a look at what I needed to do to um, heal my confidence, my self-esteem, find my identity, and just put myself back together. Wow. I mean, our stories are so similar. Uh, I, I can totally, totally, totally relate. And it sounds like, um, you know, when you're at that point where emotionally you're not sure how to heal and you're having physical problems, it's like if you do not take care of yourself, who is going to help you heal? And so I think that is really important for a lot of our listeners to know that as much as you might want your partner to change, it's got to start with you. Right, Manisa? Absolutely. And I wanted to say something, Margo. I don't, you kind of said it and just kind of, you know, moved on. And, but it, it, I heard it in a different way when you said that you separated and you were grieving and there were some things going on in your, you know, in your life. But for me, and I know Mona can relate to this. We also grieve once we realize, you know, what's what's happening in our relationship and we now have a title for it or we now have a reason for the behavior. I think we start to grieve the relationship that we thought we had. Exactly. I Mm -hmm. couldn't agree more. And I think that was just another um, grief process that I had to go through, not only mourning the passing of my parents and my son going off to college and, mm-hmm. and all of that. It was, and I think that's why I did not bring it up to, to my husband in the beginning, because for me, I had to digest all of that. I had to sit with it and say, huh, you know, because it's like a film. And I've talked about this before. Once you find out my whole life, the past in front of me, you know, my relationship with him and very specific situations that, you know, in conversations that would go south or why things happened a certain way. And it all started to make sense. So it took me some time to process. I had to process it first and before that I could bring it up to my husband. I, I think that's so important. And Manisa, thank you so much for, for pulling that out of the conversation because Uh, I think a lot of folks, I run a support group for neurotypical partners, and I think a lot of folks are afraid to give themselves time to go through the grieving process. I mean, there's, there's five stages for death and dying and that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross came up with many, many years ago. And I think I went through all of them. And the last stage is acceptance. 
And acceptance, I think, for some neurotypical partners and neurodivergent partners is to end the relationship like mm-hmm. I did. It for, for others, it's I'm going to work on myself. And if my partner comes along, great. And for others, it's a constant state of struggle. And um, I would love to hear a little bit more about what made you decide to start your podcast what made you choose that name in particular and kind of what that journey was because there had to be a journey you know there was for me for starting the podcast so we'd love to hear yours so my journey was um when I you know was going through all of this grieving like I said my husband and I separated so I was living in a different space which really allowed me time to reflect in that space that was need was needed from you know away from him from the everyday uh and i could just concentrate on myself and i had just been through a serious illness and i was uh it was at the beginning of covid and i don't know if i had covid because there wasn't testing available but i definitely turned into pneumonia and I was, um, I had never been that sick in my life. And I wasn't sure at one point I was going, going to make it. Wow. And I had a lot of time to think. And so um, I, I had to, you know, take a look at my life and things had to, I knew they had to change. So I um, started doing some counseling and a lot of reading. And again, I, I started to take care of myself and work through the grieving process of all the things that I was, was going through and grieving. And, you know, my husband, it was too much for him. You know, the grieving, mm-hmm. he had never experienced loss of parents or, or anything like that. And that, that was just something, it was harder to grieve with him. It was easier to just be on my own because I, I was able to release those expectations. Like you should be helping me this way, or you should mm-hmm. be you know, consoling me. So during this time, I did do um, some intensive therapy and I, um, I saw out there that there wasn't really, you know, I'd heard of Cassandra syndrome and, you know, I knew that uh, I had definitely, you know, experienced the psychological and emotional distress in, in the marriage. And I think it contributed to a lot of uh, the illnesses that I would have, the depression, the anxiety. And... I saw that there wasn't a lot out there that specifically was geared for women. Mm, mm-hmm. There's a lot out there that, you know, it will be for the couples or for um, the men. But my my jam is just working with women and helping them uh, empower themselves to reconnect with themselves and helping uh, them to tra- be able to transform their own health and their own well-being. So mm-hmm. I started with the website and then I just never done a podcast before. <laughs> and I think, you know, it wasn't, it was almost like I was, it was divine, the spirit. Mm-hmm. I, it, I feel like it chose me. Like I didn't mm-hmm. choose this. I felt like I was chosen like at this chapter in my life that mm-hmm. this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I- I was going to say, Margo, that when I when you start talking about your journey of how you immediately started to look within yourself, I I'm so glad that you said it was like a spiritual, almost like a spiritual 
awakening for you because what is one of the first things we do as women when we're in relationships and we're not happy? We point our finger at our partner. And we think that if if the partner changes, then we change. Mm -hmm. But you had such a high way of thinking that, you know what? I need to do this work within myself first and identify what that is before I even take this to my partner to have this discussion. And I just think that is a very transformative way to start to look at things. And uh, I, I can speak for me. I definitely wasn't on that track. I was pointing all all of my fingers at my partner, you know, fingers, toes, everything. <laughs> yeah, you know, me too. It's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's yep. you, it's you. Yep. And although there yeah. are some very specific behaviors that are, you know, as you know, that are, you know, just, just happens in these neurodiverse relationships, but also it's kind of, um, it's almost arrogant of us to think, well, hey, if you just change, everything will be great. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I agree, right. Manisa. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I have, I have to commend you too, Margo. I mean, I think it's awesome. You know, the separating part, and I think that's something a lot of the women in the support group that I run have talked about, separating or living in separate um, apartments or homes or even going back to their parents' home or whatever to just have time to think and attempt to heal. And so I think you're onto something that can be beneficial to a lot of folks who aren't ready to end the relationship, but just when they find out that they're a neurodiverse couple I know for the neurodivergent partner, there's got to be a lot of reflecting and thinking, oh my gosh, you know, now that I know I'm on the autism spectrum, I'm autistic, a lot of things in my life when I look through that neurodiverse lens make sense, but it doesn't heal the trauma and pain I went through. Mm -hmm. For the neurotypical partner, they didn't experience maybe the bullying and all the trauma, you know, before the marriage or before the relationship, but in the relationship, there's been a lot of unintentional hurt, pain, and trauma that needs to be healed. So there's healing needed on both sides, but we can't control our partners and whether or not they heal. So good for you. Yes. And I think one other thing is that once I realized, you know, that my husband, you know, it um, does have ASD1 and I read about it and that it was easier for me to practice grace with him mm. because now it came from a different place, a deeper understanding that he's not doing some of these things on purpose. He doesn't intentionally want to hurt me. So I looked at it as if, you know, say I was married to a man who was blind and <laughs> artist and I drew a beautiful, you know, uh, picture and I took mm -hmm. it to him and say, look at the beautiful picture I did and look at the colors and that. Well, he wouldn't be able to see that. Right. And I was expecting things from him that he wasn't able to give me. Well, with my husband, it's mind blindness mm -hmm. and, um, uh, you know, um, black and white thinking. And, and I'm not saying this to let him off the hook because right. you know, they do have a responsibility in the relationship, but I'm just saying that it helped me to, to have grace. And it also helped me to untangle myself from that dysfunctional relationship and allow myself to say, okay, I need to first change. I need to first heal, focus on myself. 
Because I think what goes along with this too, it wasn't only the relationship with my husband, it was the relationship with many people in my life because I had always had difficulty setting boundaries Mm-hmm. And I look at how much I was codependent in my relationship, mm-hmm. and how many people out there that I was always trying to fix and help. Mm-hmm. And I knew this and I knew that. And, you know, one of my, my ladies that um, I've met, she, she was very smart. She said, well, we only have so much emotional energy. You have to think of it just as a ball of emotional energy. And we only have so much to give. Mm-hmm. So I knew as part of my healing, not only for my husband, I had to release and let go of many people in my life because they were just draining my energy. And I knew that I need to, needed to have, um, you know, time for myself, learn about self-care. And so it became, you know, um, whether they uplifted me or whether they were draining the energy. And I had, it was difficult, I had to go through more grieving, but I, I knew I had to let go of some people. Amen. Amen. Because, you know, people talk about spoon theory, like the neurodivergent only having so many spoons that they can work with every day. I think I'd, maybe we can call it something. But I also think that as the neurotypical, we only have so much to give to everybody else before we lose ourselves. And I remember saying um, on another podcast and thinking this myself as I was healing that, you know, there's a reason when you're on a plane, they say to put your mask on first if there should be turbulence and then help others that you're traveling with. Because if you're not whole and you're not able to breathe, you're not going to be able to help anybody else. And I think it's usually women, but I'm going to say um, the neurotypical in the relationship needs to understand that they need to take care of themselves. Now, I know there were probably a lot of differences that you saw between the way you and your husband handle things. And um, I, I'm sure that it probably created confusion, misunderstanding and what have you. Can you talk a little bit about maybe the emotional differences since I, I it sounds like that was a, a big one for you all and how you address them now? Well, it was a big one because, you know, my husband being an engineer, it's definitely black and white thinking, you know, one plus one equals two. There's no gray area. Mm-hmm. And for me, and he's very, you know, he's worked at the same place for 37 years. He drives the same route, you know, <laughs> he holds on to cars for years. He has a special interest. He likes routine. It's very difficult to travel with him because, you know, he, he, the anxiety starts to build when he's out of his comfort zone. So that was always, um, difficult in our relationship because I'm spontaneous and full of energy and (laughs) let's do that and and that was not him that raises his anxiety and I could I never understood that so I think back to many arguments that we have or vacations that really didn't go very well because you know he was out of his comfort zone it was difficult for him even to decide you know directions and where to go to eat you know simple things you know like that right um So I think now that I have a a deeper understanding uh, of that, that's one thing that now, um, if we're going to take a vacation together, 
we do a different kind of planning, you know, mm-hmm. so that, you know, some of the things that even if I, I do a little bit of research or it's just, it's just looking at things differently, approaching situa- situations differently. Um, another thing I know is, you know, my energy tends to be all over the place. So he would come home from work and I would, I would just be right away, just blabbing my mouth about my day and guess what happened here or there. And now I realize that that doesn't work for him. He needs time to, I have to, I'm better now at reading him and knowing when to bring certain things up, especially if they're a little bit more, you know, serious discussion and when to stop a discussion, um, yeah. you know, and say, okay, it's time for a break. Let's just leave this and, and walk away. Now, trust me, I'm not perfect at this. <laughs> I get super stressed in that, you know, our first reaction, I mean, my first reaction is, you know, anger and, you know, uh, shouting out and, and frustration and that. But I will say that that's, you know, that has helped me. And, and I would say one more thing is I, I'm able to handle those meltdowns a lot better because mm-hmm. I, I see the anxiety um, raising. And then if he does have a meltdown, mm-hmm. instead of talking back and keeping it going and, and that which doesn't work, I just leave the room and I let it just be for a while. And once I started repeating that behavior, he's got it now. He likes, you know, of course the repetition and that I'm going to behave the same way every time. So that that has seemed to help. That's wonderful. I wanted to back up a little bit, Margo, because in the beginning, you know, you talked about how you went on this journey by yourself to figure out what was going on and you really didn't address it with your husband. What, tell us about that, that day when you actually did, you know, say, Hey, there's an elephant in our relationship and, we need to acknowledge it and figure out how to, what to do with it. What, what was that conversation like? Well, it was kind of a one-sided conversation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I would say it was a conversation, but I was able to, um, I did not use the word autism. I did not use the word uh, uh, spectrum. I used neurodiverse couple. I used traits, you know, I named traits. I showed him a couple of videos and then we did go into counseling with uh, someone that is, you know, trained and we did some counseling. And after the first session, I saw a huge shift because he brought up things from his childhood and from his relationship with his parents. And it was a shock to me and it was a huge aha moment. So there started to be a shift in him. And then as I started the podcast and, and, and that um, he, he, he got on board. Now, I don't ask him to, uh, I still don't, you know, say you're going to counseling or you're doing this or that. I really approach it from, from me making the changes and from doing that, he's changed. Mm-hmm. He's become more aware of, of, of different things and he starts to behave differently. So you really have embraced your circle of control is that you focus on the things that you can control. And then as a result of that, because your behavior changes, his behavior changes. Exactly. The other thing I would say is I found my voice. Mm. Instead of being the victim and pouting and you didn't get me the right present for my birthday or, you know, all of that Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, and you don't love me. I know my husband loves me, but 
he, you know, and it's difficult for him. He's not going to, to show it in the same way that, you know, many of my friends' husbands are going to show it. And I think there's a certain amount of acceptance for that. But when it comes to things now, instead of, you know, playing the victim and, and looking at what he doesn't do for me, if I want something, all I have to do is ask him and, and define it. So if I want a certain gift or, or um, uh, you know, him to do things, I found my voice in, in asking him to do that. And that has been a shift. That's great. Margaret, yeah, that is, I think, a really important point for our listeners. I think both the neurotypical and the neurodivergent to find your voice, because I think I do believe um, that my ex masked for most of our marriage. I don't think he felt he had a voice because he was afraid that I would divorce him because four years into our marriage, I wanted to divorce him. He promised he'd change. I stayed, you know, another 26 years, but I think he may have lost his voice at that time. And I think my voice was way too loud (laughs) for him. And we did, I did a lot of screaming and he did a lot of shutdown, you know, he didn't melt down. He shut down. And I think um, a lot of couples go through the meltdowns, but I think a lot of couples go through the shutdowns. And I think it's, it's challenging when you're trying to process something with your partner and they're melting down or shutting down. So how, or now that you know, and you're both accepting of your being a neurodiverse couple, how do you process those decisions that have to be made? I know you have an adult child now, so that's that, there might not be a lot of processing there. But like when you're going on vacation, if you were going to make a move and, you know, move into a new house or, or you're going to meet with family or you're making some other kind of decision, you know, even going out to dinner, you know, um, what does it look like when you're processing together or do you process together? Well, I will say that we're working on that, that that is, is an area that is, you know, I always say everything is process and practice. And that's something that um, we're working on together. Um, and I, I think that that's going to take us some time to see. I know, like for vacations, um, one of the vacations we went, we went on, uh, I chose a place that I had been to before. And I didn't mind returning to. So I knew the area. I knew the restaurants. I knew, you know, so I was able to to drive. I was able to, you know, um, uh, you know, take a look at it. It was easier for him. His, his anxiety, you know, didn't go up. But we, you know, my son now is on his own. And we're in a bit of a life change that's coming up. He's, he can retire in less than three years. And mm-hmm. You know, we're looking at some big changes in our life of, of moving, uh, selling our home. And so we just started, I just started, you know, tiptoeing into that water of starting to have those, those discussions. And I think the one thing is, is that for my husband, it takes time for him to process things. He doesn't move fast. So mm-hmm. I have to start now slowly and 
And also with him, you know, it's keeping it to, uh, a lot of times I realize I have to keep emotion out of it. I have to stick to, you know, facts and figures and tasks, you know, for him. And that, that has helped. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that frequently that um, men on the spectrum process things slowly. My own husband tells me that I could, I could ask him something tonight and then three days later he'll say, Hey, you remember on Thursday when you asked me about blah, blah, blah. And, and now he's ready to talk about it, but it's three days later. And I'll say to him like, that was three days ago. (laughs) And he's like, I know, but I just, now he'll, he'll give me some type of conversation about it, but then he goes and thinks about it and then comes back. And now the conversation has a lot more meat to it because he's, he's thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I hear that a lot. So maybe that is specifically for me, Margot, to learn how to be more patient in that area because, uh, you know, Mona and I are just direct communicators that we put something out there. We, you know, I say we ping pong. When we, <laughs> we hit that ball over the net. We expect it to come right back. Right. So, <laughs> but in our case, we may have to stand there for three days before we get a, a return serve. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that happens all the time with me. Yes. I, I was waiting for that return serve immediately and it didn't happen for days. And, and Margo, the interesting thing is that my ex would often come back with the same words I had used in conversation with him two, three, four days earlier. And I would get angry with him. This is before we knew we were a neurodiverse couple. And I would say, that's what I told you three days ago. Why are you repeating to me what I told you? Well, because he needed time to think it through, process it in his own head. And when he had his response or could agree to what I had put out there on the table, he was comfortable then coming back to me. You know, the misunderstandings are just um, a real, real challenge for sure. So, yeah. So, Manisa, did you have a question? Oh, go ahead, Margo. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I just wanted to say this is one area where we're totally different. I'm definitely an activator. I get an idea and I'm an idea person. I get an idea and I'll, I'll, I'll just go for it right away. And I, I really don't look at a lot of times all of the, you know, things that could go wrong. Like if somebody said, okay, we need to drain this lake. I would get a bunch of people together, get the buckets, let's go. Let's drain this lake. <laughs> my husband would be at his computer and he would be working out all of the, you know, ways and, uh, you know, to drain this lake from an engineering point of view. So yep. that just gives you an idea of, you know, I like to, to do things, you know, let's get this done. This sounds like a great idea. And I think that's one area where my husband has helped me because it slows down that activator in me and says, let's look at this and think about that. So, I know yes. this is not a, a, a topic that we normally talk about, but I'm curious to know, and Mona, you can answer this too from, you know, being with your ex, but Margo, does your husband have problems sleeping? Sometimes he does, you know, he does have problems um, sleeping. Um, he has been having some problems lately when it, when he gets stressed. So mm-hmm. he's been under a lot of stress. There's some family illness and, and he's been under stress too. I notice the older, you know, my husband's what 62 years old and I notice a change in him. And I've heard other um, women talk about this as well as the older their husbands get, the more difficult it is, you know, dealing with their anxiety, dealing with sleeping, you know, sleep issues 
And, you know, my husband now is less than three years from retirement. He's had just in the past few months, he's had four friends who have passed away that were less than two years uh, oh into their retirement. So wow. he came through a really difficult time. And yeah. so, you know, for me, I have to, it's, it's the first time really that my husband um, has gone through difficult times. Everything seems to be even keel mm -hmm. for him. So this is like a switch up in the relationship. Yeah. Now, and I have to figure out how to best support him. Mm. Absolutely. You know, Mona was asking about thinking differences and, you know, we were all talking about how, you know, we, we get that response. Sometimes it's delayed. I know with my husband, it is very rare that he sleeps through the night and, you know, I'll ask him, it's like, you know, what, what is it that is specifically keeping you up at night? And he'll say, I just cannot turn my brain off. Mm -hmm. I am constantly thinking, did you see that with your ex Mona or? Yeah, I, I, I did. And um, I, I think one of the reasons that he went to sleep so late was because he was thinking and it gave him time alone without anybody else in the house up. Sometimes he would, he would go to sleep four five, six o'clock in the morning. And that was, I think, it was helpful for him when he didn't have a schedule or he had a schedule where he could go to work later, like two or three in the afternoon, because he needed that alone time. Mm -hmm. And then when he was, I guess, exhausted, he would pass out. But um, yeah, I definitely, definitely saw that for sure. I think, you know, we've talked about so many different differences and challenges. And, and one of the things that you said, Margot, early on, and you just said it, that I think is really important for our listeners to think about is the strengths in a neurodiverse relationship. And mm. in particular, you talked about how you would, you know, get everybody to get the buckets to, to drain the lake and he would be on his computer figuring out how to do it in the most efficient and effective way. And that resonated with me because I definitely was a doer. I did it quick, whether it was purchasing a car or making a move or whatever. And I know that created a lot of anxiety for my ex. But I also know that his meticulous thinking and his researching really helped us in situations where that was beneficial. So what do you think have been the greatest strengths in your neurodiverse relationship that maybe you weren't aware were strengths until you found out you guys were neurodiverse? Well, I think one of the strengths is, is we just, here's an example, we just got done remodeling our house and you know, a lot of couples argue over that, but that is one area where my husband and I, it's fun. We get along and, you know, I can do the design, but he's good at doing, you know, all of the, again, the tasks. He's very, you know, hands-on and, and can do the carpentry and, you know, all of that. So, you know, that's, that's an area where we enjoy our time together um, because it's using both of our skill sets and we can accomplish something together. So that's definitely a strength. And he helped, he's, he's helped me with the podcast. You know, I had to learn editing and he's always willing, you know, my husband's very loyal and he's always willing to help. I just sometimes have to ask and say, I need help with this. And he's never said no to me. So um, that is, you know, definitely, you know, a strength. So I'm finding, you know, every day more and more how to, 
you know, make our differences work together. Not always easy, and we still have, you know, ups and downs, but, you know, it's hard. Manisa, are you okay? I am. I'm so sorry. I just got a tickle in my throat. It won't go away. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, no, okay. no. I just want to make sure you're not choking on us. No. <laughs> because we can't help you. We're too far away. So, Margo, you were <laughs> telling us about the strengths of your relationship. Did I? Do you guys have children together? We have one son, Jake, and he's 24 years old. And uh, he lives on his own. He has his own apartment. You know, he went to college and then he got a job right out of college and he never came back home. So, you know, he was self-sufficient and um you know that was really hard only having one son that was a lot that I had to go through and you know learning to to let go but you know I had to realize um one of my favorite writers is Anne Lamott she said you you have to let them go on their own hero's journey you can't run next to them with the juice box and the chapstick there's another um author his name is Khalil Gibran I don't know if you or yes. both have heard of I him yes. and he says that our children come through us but they don't belong to us mm-hmm. um, yeah. and that, that's a hard realization because my children are you know 28 27 26 and I have a 15 year old but my three that are grown and gone as I call them I still call them my babies Mm. you know I (laughs) I still worry about them and give them motherly advice I wanted to ask speaking about that when your son was a lot smaller how did you and your husband manage parenting was that challenging very challenging because my husband wanted to be his friend and not the parent. Mm-hmm. So it always caused um, a lot of um, problems because it was never, I could never get him on the same page with me that it was us two as the parents and, you know, and that it was us up to us to, you know, um, be together on the same page. And, you know, my son was, was the child and my husband, you know, part of it, uh, and, we've discussed this in counseling and that is he has a hard time seeing like the social hierarchy. Mm. So he doesn't see like, for example, we've had problems not only when I was raising my son, but with my in-laws, with other family members, he doesn't see the social hierarchy that I'm his wife. I come first, you Mm -hmm. know, before he sees me, his sister-in-law, my, his mother and that, like we're all the same. And that has been a, you know, that's been a, a real, real struggle um, that him having an understanding that as a wife, we're the team, we're the, you know, we're mm-hmm. the So that, you know, that we, you know, have struggled with. But I started to notice, um, maybe this is a little different topic, but I started to notice once my son hit 12, mm-hmm. he seemed to, and then going into his teen years, I could see that my son's emotional and social intelligence was way higher than my husband. And I started to see the difficulties that I had had all those years with my husband, I observed in the relationship between my husband and my son. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Yeah. Margo, I don't think any of our other guests have talked about that. And that just resonated with me so much. The mm-hmm. whole thing that you said, um, because I think that's exactly what 
I was experiencing and you just put it into words that I could never do. The hierarchy, I felt like a third wheel when my husband, my ex-husband and my daughter and I were together on vacation or sitting at the dinner table. It was almost as though he was married to her. Mm -hmm. And I felt that and just couldn't understand it. And Mm -hmm. looking back through the neurodiverse lens, I absolutely understand it. And I've talked to my daughter about it and she's 25. And she said, yeah, I know. I mean, there were times that I literally screamed at them. And I'm like, I'm here on vacation with both of you. Don't ignore me, Mm -hmm. you know, or I would say to my ex, uh, Rachel is not your wife. Do not be asking her questions that you should be asking me or don't engage her in helping with a project. You should be engaging me as your wife. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. Thank you for that one. That was was very, very helpful. It was very good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, the other thing um, before we kind of close, I know our hour always goes so fast. The other thing that I know a lot of neurodivergent um, partners have is a deeper special interest. And we know that sometimes that can become all consuming. And I remember oftentimes my ex would go into his computer room and he was a musician and a songwriter and all that. And he would spend, you know, the entire day in front of the computer. And it was hard to get him away from that and come and have dinner with us or or go out if we were going to go out or whatever. Is that something that you dealt with in your or that you're dealing with in your marriage? And if so, you know, how do you uh, create that balance with your husband? I've dealt with it and I'm still dealing with it. So my special interest is anything history or science fiction. So it's, you know, watching, you know, on TV, you know, history shows, uh, science fiction shows, and he won't, he'll watch a series not only once, but he'll watch it twice, maybe Mm -hmm. three times. (laughs) And then he likes to discuss it, you know, and that's one thing where we've struggled socially and where, you know, my husband doesn't understand, again, like the, the social behavior that when you go out to a cocktail party, people don't want a history lesson. So <laughs> they're not, you know, they're not in a lecture. And, and that's been a little bit difficult. And the other thing now is, and this is something we're working on, is my husband, it's, it's always facts and figures. So mm. it's funny that you bring this up. So the other day we were sitting at the kitchen table and I said, okay, can we just not talk facts and figures for the next 10 minutes? And he said, <laughs> he said pick a subject. And I said, okay, I'll take bubonic plague for 500 hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we're on Jeopardy, pick a right. subject, you know? Right. It's very, and I still see this. I, I don't have this with anyone else in my life. You know, we converse about so many different things, but with my husband, it is difficult if it's not something to do with facts and figures or uh, that it's it's hard for us to just, you know, he doesn't like small talk or, you know, conversations yeah. about nothing. Isn't That's, that interesting? <clears throat> that is so funny. Literally, right before the podcast, my husband comes out in the living room where I am. He sits next to me and he's, you know, looking at me and he says, this is my 15 minutes that I'm um, trying to spend with you today I said okay and he goes what do you want to talk about I said anything and he's like, pick a topic 
<laughs> so I'm married to the brother of your husband, Margo. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I just started talking about something because I, I knew he was trying. And so I did pick a topic and we started talking. But it's so you know obvious like I'm looking at you you know hey I'm leaning towards you this is your 15 minutes uh so hey I'll take it I'll take the 15 minutes yeah the, I, that, there's the structure again you know, yes go, go ahead Marga but I think on a deeper level there that is the part of our relationships where I know for a lot of women and for myself where the loneliness comes in yeah you, know, you want the conversation just to be natural mm -hmm. and that's something you know I've had to to grieve a little bit because I'm not going to have that back and forth and, and that so you know and I'm still working on that like how do I you know how do I you know work on that to, so that um it, it doesn't feel so isolating and so lonely. And, you know, my husband's very stoic. So a lot of times if I'm excited or something good happens in that, I want him to jump up and down with me. I know, <laughs> I know. He's not, he's not going to do that. He's just going to say, oh, that's nice, great. You know, I mean, that'll be like the amount of uh, excitement I'm going to get, you know, get out of him. So that is something it's not, you know, it's not, easy but you know I've learned also that I don't that's the way he is so I have other people in my life other women other people that you know lift me up in that way that I can go to and you know share things with and uh we're going to you know uh they're going to respond in in you know a different way yeah I think that's so important Margo and you know when you're young and you're trying to manage a household and you've got you know more than one young child I hear some of the women in their 20s and 30s who, who are in my support group talking about how difficult it is to build those relationships. But I'll mm -hmm. tell you, one of the greatest things you could do if you are going to thrive as an individual in a neurodiverse relationship is find your social tribe. And that goes, you know, for the neurodivergent partner, too, because, you know, if you're interested in sci-fi and you can talk about it for seven days straight, 24 hours, you know, seven days straight, you need to find also your social tribe so that you're you're both not frustrating each other. My ex was um, a big movie buff and there were two particular genres that he absolutely loved. And like you said, your husband will watch things over and over again. He had watched them so many times. He knew all the words in the movies and, you know, I'd look at him and he'd be mouthing them <laughs> as we were watching the movie for me, the first time for him, it could be the 15th time. And that was important to him. And he did finally, he found a friend who enjoyed movies as much as he did. And um, I think that that was a, a great relationship for him. So I think it's important mm -hmm. on both sides. So, um, we are almost at the end, and I always like to ask um, Manisa if she has any other things that she wants to bring up first. Anything, Manisa? I just wanted to say, Margo, you know, Mona and I have, we have interviewed and we have had conversations with so many different women on this topic, but I think you're the first one who has taken a proactive approach and saying that, you know, that, that saying that says when you... Instead of changing the situation, you change yourself. You may not be able to change the situation, but if the way you're looking at the situation, you can change that. And you're a perfect example of that. And I think that that causes you to not have, 
you're going to have, of course, some level of grief and disappointment because, hey, we're all wired for connection. We know that. Let's not deny that. But I think you have really um, shared some really helpful ways and healthy ways so that, you know, you don't totally lose yourself in these relationships. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, you know, I wish that I had a magic wand and every neurodiverse couple out there that they would know they're neurodiverse when they start dating but that magic wand doesn't exist Mm -hmm. (laughs) and because it doesn't exist people sometimes will go or couples will go for years and years and years in my case 29 in your case 21 you said Margot, and not know and then when you find out life does change but playing the victim is not the route to go for either partner I really feel like you are a perfect example of the most healing way in which to deal with this knowledge, whether the relationship, you know, whether you stay in the relationship or it ends, because you're always going to have yourself, no matter Mm -hmm. what. And if you're not healthy, and you're not healing, and you're not growing and accepting, and you're always looking to change the situation or someone else, it's going to be very debilitating. And, yeah. and you experienced that yourself. So before we before we end, um, Margo, is there any other words of wisdom or any other lessons that you've learned, either in your relationship or from talking to other women, that you want to share with our listeners before we go? Well, I guess the one thing I would like to say is that, you know, being proactive, I hear a lot of women that can't decide whether they're going to stay or whether they're going to go. So I always say, once you start to heal yourself and you look inward, you begin to start taking care of yourself. You go on your own journey. That's going to, you're going to get your confidence back. You're going to find out, you know, what you value and you start um, building yourself up. Then you, you, you come from a better place of deciding, am I going to stay or am I going to go? And that's what I did. You know, that time that I took for myself, um, I didn't know whether I was going to stay in the marriage or not stay in the marriage. But um, for me, you know, it played out that I had that time and, and now I'm able to, you know, work, you know, with him within the marriage. And at this time in our life, this is what, you know, this is what works. So I guess I would say that it is important for women, and I know it's very difficult, but to shift the focus from their husbands to themselves mm-hmm. to get on a healing journey. And that's why my you know, podcast and my community is called Healing Cassandra, because I believe the healing begins with each one of us. We're mm-hmm. on our own journey. And um, I, I think that that's, you know, that's where it starts. And it's hard sometimes to give up that finger pointing. I know it's, it's hard for me. But mm-hmm. that's where once you start that healing and you, and you start telling the truth. And I know for me, for many years, I felt like I was in a trance, you know, just on autopilot. Mm-hmm. And once you start lifting yourself out of that trance and saying, oh, you know, my confidence is back. I like this. Now I have girlfriends to go out with. I don't depend on my husband for everything. I don't, you know, it, it makes a huge difference. So I guess, uh, you know, if anything, that's what I would say is, and it's, it's a while. I always say it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen. Like for me, I've been working on it for, you know, years now, and I'm always learning something new. So you have to be patient. You have to practice and remember it's a process. 
Amen. I so, yeah, I mean, that is just so wonderful. And those are great words of wisdom. And, you know, I think until we leave this earth, we have a choice, you know, we can do the work for ourselves and learn and heal our, um, many, many challenges that have come into our life that have caused pain and, um, created trauma. I mean, that's, that's the word I keep coming back to for both partners and we choose to grow and heal or we choose to stagnate and be in victim mode. And I like what you said about the truth. I think the truth can set us free, but I think it's really <clears throat> scary sometimes to let people know that you're in a neurodiverse relationship. Mm-hmm. I know once I found out, I didn't share with anybody. Um, Mm -hmm. And I didn't because I didn't understand it. And I didn't even know what to tell people. And I'll be honest with you. I think a lot of couples who know they're in a neurodiverse couple, a neurodiverse relationship, don't know how to describe what they're going through in a way that people can understand if they're not in a neurodiverse relationship. So I think the truth can set you free. I'm not sure how much you can share it with others who will understand unless you're in a community like you've created and like we've created because our stories are unique. Um, And I think a lot of folks might think, Oh, well, you know, that's how all men are. No, it's Mm -hmm. not how all men are. Or, um, you know, that's how all engineers or IT folks are. No, there are definitely different neurotypes operating here. So excellent Excellent, excellent points. Yes. Yeah. Manisa, anything else you, you wanted to share after what Margo said? No, just so glad to have had you on the podcast just to share your story and to shed some light. We really are appreciative of that, Margo. Yeah. My pleasure. It was fun. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. And I want you to be able to share with our listeners where they can reach you, because I know you have a website and you have the podcast. So what's the best place for them to reach you? So the best place to reach me is at healingcassandra.com. I have a website there. I have my podcast posted uh, there. You can also find my podcast on uh, Spotify and Apple Music. Uh, But definitely just the website is filled with uh, information. And then I also um, have a membership community because one of the things that I think is so important and really helped in my healing was connecting with other Cassandra women. And um, like we said, other people in our, in our lives, they don't fully understand what we're going through. But once you have a sisterhood of women that, you know, we can finish each other's sentences, they know things, you know, uh, that other people would never know about our relationships that is is very important so if anyone's interested in finding out more and they're interested in beginning their healing journey and wanting to transform their health and well-being head on over to healingcassandra.com awesome and i'll put that in the show notes and thank you so much you ladies have a great evening thank Thank you you. bye-bye margo bye-bye Thank you.